0: Today's scripture comes from the books of Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10, John 15, verses 11 through 17, and John 14, verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. John 15, verses 11 through 17. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. John 14 verses 1 through 7. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Welcome, everybody. Is everybody doing all right? Yes. Yes. Good, good. Good to see some uh, familiar faces, obviously, and and some faces I haven't seen in a while. But it's good to see um, everybody here. And of course, everybody at home. Uh, So glad that you could join us. Um, So, currently, we are going through a sermon series on friendship. And, um, you know, I know uh, all of us probably growing up, you have, you know, when you hear the word best friend, you 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 think about somebody maybe from your youth or your childhood. Um, can you think of that person? You know, think even just their name right now. Um, you know, I think of like uh, things like Toy Story. Even uh, you know, movies about friendship, right? And so you think about Woody and Andy and Buzz. But who, who is that best friend growing up for you? What was their name? You know, and what was it about them? That attracted you to them, and and what was it about your the interpersonal dynamic that just got you so happy anytime you saw their face, right? Um, we all want to build good friendships. How awesome would it be if we could have that kind of relationship with everybody, right? Um, not very realistic, but that would be a pretty cool thing, right? And so I'm pretty excited uh, to get to share this message with you today, uh, which I've entitled. God's gift of friendship. So we'll go in three parts. Part one, God's blessing of friendship. God's blessing of friendship. Part two, the habitat. Okay, the habitat of friendship polluted by the curse of self-worship. So the habitat of friendship polluted by the curse of self-worship. And part three, friendship... Reclaimed and redeemed by God's gift of divine friendship. Friendship reclaimed and redeemed by God's gift of divine friendship. So part one, God's blessing, the blessing of friendship. So let's start by thinking about just two questions um, about friendship. Question number one, when you think about genuine friendship, what qualifies for you as genuine friendship? Friendship, right because not every relationship that you have is a friend right So what separates just like the acquaintance from a friend and even with friends what in your mind and your heart separates friends from close friends? You have those categories right and um, and so what do what does that look like? What, what's your definition? okay Number two, question number two, as you think about that definition, the follow-up question is, Go a little deeper and ask yourself, where did I get that criteria for the definition of genuine friendship? So you have a definition of friendship, right? But where did you get that criteria, right? What's, in a way, what's the source of your ideas and your principles of how you understand friendship? Um, Maybe your source is from movies, you know, like Toy Story or Star Wars or whatever, you know, other movie that talks about friendship, um, and and by the way, those movies were produced and approved by some Hollywood executives, so that's the source, right? They give final approval on what's going to be shown on the screen, what you're going to consume, and then what's going to move you, so that's, uh, you're, we're all being influenced in some way by Uh, you know, a small group of people. Or maybe it's from songs from your favorite musicians. Um, One of the famous ones over the last decade was like Taylor Swift. Like all of her songs are about relationships, whether good or bad, right? And, you know, for better or for worse, what happens? For that generation that grew up with those songs, those songs become an anthem, right? And it kind of defines and in a way influences how they understand friendships and how friends should act and behave and what you can expect. You see that? So what is our source? Or maybe it's from a TV show or websites, a blog or a podcast. You know? Or maybe it's from a magazine that you bought um, You know, waiting in line at the grocery store. Where did you get your picture? Where do we get our picture of what makes for a genuine friend? Well, we know this for sure that we all get our ideas from somewhere. We got our idea of that from somewhere. And most likely, we all have a picture of friendship that we have formed from some combination, right, of those other sources. We pick and choose, like, oh, I like this, I like this, I don't like this. And then we kind of make this uh, this amalgamation of what we believe from all these different sources as you grow up and uh, live uh, about what friendship, you think it ought to be. Um, You know, friendships, they are such an important part of a healthy life. Really, you can't have a healthy life without friends. Therefore, I would say and challenge you, it is definitely worth your time and energy to reflect on and examine the sources from which you get your ideas about how you understand friendship. You should really think about that because friendship is a very important Of your life, wouldn't you agree? Right, so God has made his wisdom available to us as a source, and today we're going to look at just a couple of things. Of course, there's so many things, but a couple of things, and of course, you know, um, I also want to reiterate I'm available to you uh, and would be more than happy, you know, to sit with you and have a conversation with you about these things because there's too much to talk about you know, within the, whatever, 30, 40 minutes here. And I would love to just sit with you and just have more conversations about this. So um, I'm not just saying that. I would love it. Um, So reach out to me. For now, here are just a couple of pieces of wisdom, okay, that God reveals to us about friendship. First off, listen, God designed friendship to be a blessing for us. The purpose of friendship is to be a blessing for humanity, okay? God reveals to us from the very beginning that quote, "It is not good for man to be alone." Okay, that's from Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Human beings were not meant to live isolated from one another. Human beings were created for relationships of joy and love and peace with each other and with God. Relationships require by definition, more than one person, don't they? Therefore, write this down if you can, our purpose as human beings requires more than just your own self. So in order to fulfill your purpose as a human being, you actually need another person in the room. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot reach full humanity by yourself as opposed to what you may hear from the world it actually requires a loving community. You cannot reach full humanity without the context of a loving community. And that means both the benefits of a loving community and the cost. There is a cost to a loving community, right? So it is not good for man to be alone. Another way to put it, it's bad for man to be alone, okay? It is bad. Here's another blessing that God reveals about friendship in the Bible. Give a listen to this. Um, This is earlier in Ecclesiastes from um, what we we read, but we'll get there. Again, um, I saw something meaningless under the sun. This is uh, someone inspired by the Spirit of God writing down his musings on just life and philosophy and um, nature. And in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, again, I saw something meaningless, vain, under the sun. It was this, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. He toiled with no end, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He asked, for whom am I toiling, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. This is vain, a miserable, unhappy business. So there's this man, he works very hard. He has accrued some amount of wealth as well as, uh, you know, the luxuries that that wealth can bring. Sound familiar to any of us? I mean, maybe that's us, right? Works hard. We're in Silicon Valley. We pride ourselves on working hard. And what do we work hard for? Wealth. And what does wealth give us? Nice things and nice vacations and the ability to to eat good food and and all of that and, and drink good wine. But... As it said there in verse 8, he's all alone. And because he has nobody around, there's nobody with whom he can enjoy the fruits of his labor. So it becomes vain. All of his toil, all of his life's work becomes meaningless, vanity, miserable even. Now, if I told you today that, you know, after service, as you walk out, um, you're going to uh, look down, and you're going to find a lottery ticket. And that lottery ticket is guaranteed to win you $30 million. Uh, raise your hand if, if, if that actually happened, if that would make you happy. Come on, be honest. That would make you pretty happy. Some of you guys are like, oh, come on. You guys are, you guys are just uh, kidding yourselves, right? I would be happy for me <laughs> if that were to happen, okay? Well, there was an actual uh, man a few years ago. Who won $31 million in a lottery? But after winning, he was so overwrought by all of the tensions and pressures from the people around him. So, not good friends, (laughs) not good relationships, unhealthy relationships, that he actually committed suicide just 20 months after winning. Think about that, guys. 20 months, people get cancer and survive cancer more than 20 months. This is what happens when we get isolated and we are surrounded by toxic relationships. You lose your will to die, to live. And in this person's case, they had 31 million reasons, at least we think so, to live, but he had no friends. And so in 20 months after winning the lottery, he ended his life. Less than two years. What would possess a guy after having won that much money in the span, in the short span? Notice the short, I want you to notice the brevity of that span. 20 months to just say, I hate my life. I want to die. That is the importance of good, healthy relationships and friendships. Think about this, when something good happens in your life, uh, what's one of the first things that human beings like to do? We like to tell other people, right? We like to celebrate, we like to share, right? So you get a good grade on a test, or you get a raise. What's the first thing you do? Hey, do you do it on, you know, you tell, you put it on Twitter, or social media, or whatever, or you call, you text your friend. And, and what are you looking for? You're looking, hey man, yeah, I got a raise. Oh, that's awesome. Hug, high five, smile. Now imagine if something good happens in your life and you're like, yeah, and then you look around and you have nobody to share that with. You're like, oh, they're too busy. (laughs) Oh, Oh, they're just having a relationship with themselves. Yay me. The natural habitat of human beings is to have love and friendship. Even just me acting that out, didn't you feel sorry for me? (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. Because it's like seeing a fish flopping on the ground out of water. The natural habitat of human beings is love, just as the natural habitat of a fish is water. We need that. And if we don't have that, we die. Like this man who won $31 million. Um, On the other hand, right, um, our enjoyment of good things can be multiplied, right, when we have people to enjoy it with. Like this man in the biblical passage of Ecclesiastes, he had no one to share in the toils and treasures of his work. But when we do have people, you know, when Christy and I had our babies, they uh, those were obviously special moments, right, in our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, when our first child, Caris was born, and she was literally less than 24 hours um, old, we were still in the hospital, obviously, and one of the things that I'll never forget, and yeah, there she is, um, is my little sister, Anna, visiting us, you know, with my parents and, and my brother, and she was like 16 years old at the time, so, I mean, you know... Yes, she used to be 16 years old at one time. And Anna came into the hospital room, and she was so excited. You can just imagine this, you know, teenage girl, so excited to see a little. She rushed over to see the baby, and as she laid eyes on Karis for the very first time, her first uh, niece, Anna, with her happy, I don't know if you guys know her, but imagine her happy but also almost crying face. She exclaimed, "'Oh, hi, baby!' And then she goes, oh, my gosh, look, she has our ears. <laughs> and, you know, that just little things like that. Christy and I don't get that, that gift if we don't have relationships, friendships. The good things in life are so much better when we have people to share it with. Amen? Isn't that true? Amen. Friendship, not money, not possessions, friendship is true treasure. Part of what that made that moment, you know, with Karis and, and, and Christy and, and Anna at the time even more special was being able to share that once-in-a-lifetime moment with dads and moms and brothers and sisters and, and get to see the big smiles on their faces, and in those smiles and in those words and in those genuine reactions, you literally see love. And you see love. We saw love inside of their excitement. We saw love in their kind words. We saw love in the prayers that they prayed. We saw and experienced true love just in their physical presence there. Good things in life are better when we have friends to share them with. God's word continues. Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If one of them falls down, then the other can help them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. It's kind of like my little thing here, like, you know, and but how much worse. I mean, that was something good. At least, you know, that'll keep you going for 10 minutes feeling good about yourself. But what about when things turn south and you have nobody? Because this passage, it's not talking about like physically falling down, right? But there's also, it's talking about emotional falling down, the falling down of different difficult seasons in life. Um, You know, the tragic death of, a spouse, that, that's happening. Um, uh, we, we know somebody who, who literally just went that, through that this, this week. Very sudden. Or the loss of a child. Or maybe not as bad, but still pretty bad, getting fired from your job or getting laid off. And now how are you going to support your family? How are you going to, you know? Or getting news from your doctor. I have some bad news for you. A serious sickness. Or maybe you get seriously maimed or injured in some kind of accident. Financial struggles. The Bible says that when we fall like that, friends can be there to help us. Let me ask you, the last time you experienced a season of falling... Did you have a friend who helped you up? Did you have a relationship that you could look to and they just sat next to you, put their arm around you, and wept with you? They didn't even need to help you up. They just sat with you and and cried. Did that happen for you? If you did, count yourself blessed. If you didn't, there's some good news for you today. And this passage continues and and ends with this statement. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Look, if we don't have healthy friendships, then we are like a strand of one. But God designed friendship so that friends have each other in both the good times and the bad and as a result, everybody is stronger, like a rope made out of three cords instead of just one. You see that? The blessing of friendship that God has given to us. Here's another blessing of friendship that God reveals to us from uh, John chapter 15, the ver- one of the passages uh, Jamie read for you. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you. This is Jesus speaking that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. There is no greater love, the Bible says, that you can find. You search all your life and you will never find a greater love Then in Jesus, as he lays his life down for you. Part of God's plan for us is to have both true love and joy. But notice there in verse 11, guys, notice something that we can easily gloss right over. In verse 11, Jesus says, he slips this very small but oh so important word into this sentence. Jesus says that he wants my joy to be in you. Let's just pause and think about that for a second. How would you compare your joy to the joy that exists in the heart of the Son of God, Jesus Christ? He doesn't say, I, will, I, I pray that you have joy. No, he loves you too much That. He loves you so much, he wants something better. He wants his joy to be in you. And as the Son of God, he is divine, and that means that he wants you to have divine joy. Not just joy, divine joy. His joy. What does that tell you about the kind of heart that he has for you? The kind of plans and hopes and dreams and The the attitude and mindset that he has for you and your life. He wants his divine joy. He wants you to have divine joy, not just joy. You're too good. You're too precious. You're too loved for just joy. I want you to have divine joy, my joy. And that is from the Son of God himself. Do you believe that? What a joy. (laughs) The way to then experience, let me me say this slowly and make sure you get this, the way that you can experience that divine joy is to simply receive His divine love. When you receive the love of God, when you are able to understand and acknowledge that you, humble little you, is loved by the creator of the universe, and you understand that grace, that generosity of God, it naturally transforms into divine joy. When you understand his divine love, it turns into divine joy. And that's a big part of God's desire and hopes and plans for you. Really quickly, this is so cool. Uh, I learned uh, as I was doing my own studies um, sometime last year, and I shared this with some of my brothers, did you know that in the biblical Greek, the word for uh, grace or or love um, from God is the same root that gives us the word joy? And when you look at the Greek, the way to joy is to acknowledge God's grace upon your life. When we acknowledge and understand God's grace and his love upon us, naturally just flows and turns into divine joy. Those two words are the same, charis. That's the word for both, Uh, very similar. So, human beings, like I said, that is our natural habitat, God's love. And friendship is one of the most important features of that natural habitat for human beings. So these are just a few of the blessings of the gift of friendship that God has for us. Um, this brings us to part two. The habitat, we've been talking about the natural habitat, right, of, for human beings is, is God's love, the love that he um, has for us and that he wants us to share with each other. So that habitat of friendship, this is part two, has been polluted by the curse of self-worship. So understanding that friendship is given to us by God to be one of the important means of nourishment for our souls, we can then begin to see that if human beings are then deprived and starved of that habitat of God's true love and friendship, then humanity itself will become sick and less joyful, less happy, less peaceful, just less. (laughs) Just less, everything. Listen, one of the best guarantees to get yourself depressed and angry is watch the nightly news for a week, <laughs> right? And you'll see plenty of examples and evidence that humanity is sick and broken, right? Uh, for example, I won't go into the details, but I'm sure that you've heard all the statistics about how over the past 18 month period, yes, it's been that long um, or that short, however you see it, the COVID pandemic and all of the isolation that has resulted has led to increased rates of depression, anxiety disorders, where you can't like function anymore, divorce, child abuse, spousal abuse, and, yeah, people deciding to end their own lives. And we have seen an uptick in all of those things as we've seen this isolation over the past 18 months. All those things I just listed, can't you see that that's a pollution of our souls? Mental health professionals all around the country, uh, my mo- wife being one of them, and we have a few other, you know, MFTs in our congregation, they can tell you this. Uh, they have been overwhelmed as people are struggling with this isolation. Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. It's bad to be alone. And yet, sometimes we intentionally choose to be alone. We intentionally isolate ourselves sometimes. And maybe it's because we don't want to invest in a relationship or relationships because we're afraid of getting hurt. We've been hurt before, we're afraid, and we don't want to invest again. We don't want to get burned again. Anybody empathize? Anybody been through that? Or maybe you don't want to invest in relationships because you're just tired We live in Silicon Valley, you you know, you only have 24 hours but you need 48 hours a day to feel like you can just get things done the way that they need to get done, right? All the things calling out for your attention. I don't have time for friendships. Or we mistakenly believe that we can just live without friends. Who needs friends? I don't need friends, right? Friends are complicated. (laughs) Friends are annoying. True, true. (laughs) But it is a lie to think that you can live a full, fruitful life without friends. Or we decide to alter and actually change the standard of friends to fit our current situation or what's convenient. And then not surprisingly, when we have friends that are on that lower standard that we've made out of our own imaginations and, and thoughts and justifications, we are, <laughs> we are we are, outrageously underwhelmed by our friendships. God gave us a gift of friendship, but sometimes rather than navigating by God's map of friendship, we have separated away from God and decided to do things our way. And in essence, trying to be our own gods as a way to self-fulfillment, And then our understanding and practice of friendship becomes clouded and corrupted by this idea of self-fulfillment, self-worship, which chronically under-delivers, and that appeals and feeds into our own self-serving motives, our own self-centeredness, narcissistic self-grandeur, self-worship, all, again, very toxic pollutants. And what God meant for us is a blessing, we take it into our own hands, diverge away from what God has in store, and we've tragically turned it into a curse. What are some ways that we are seeing this happening? Well, when it comes to friendships, consider how, you know, sometimes we only help our friends for uh, the following reasons. By the way, if we're being 100% honest, which if you think about it, is a weird term, like 100% honest, like... You're either 100% honest or you're not. There's no 50%. Let's be honest. You're going to hear some of these reasons, some of these reasons for why uh, we help our friends. And you're going to, if you're anything like me, you know, I'll be the first to admit that you know, I struggle with some of these things that pollute friendship. Number one, we help our friends because we feel like we have to. <laughs> All right, We feel obligated to. Hey, uh, can you help me move? Sure. (laughs) And over time, if this continues, right, what ends up happening? Your heart begins to fill up with resentment. And that starts to trickle in, right? And also, if we don't help, then we're afraid of what? We're afraid that we won't be considered a good person, right? That person's not a good person. They don't help. We have a desire to be seen by others as a good friend, you know, a good guy, solid, a good person. And so that's why we help. On the flip side, maybe we fear just as much um, being considered a bad person, right? So we help our friends uh, because we don't wanna be considered a bad person. So we help them with a smile on our face but with grudges hidden and unspoken. Have you ever discovered that a friend was helping you only because they felt obligated to? and not because they really wanted to be there? How did that make you feel? Like crap, right? Right? Come on, be honest. It's not a good feeling. That's one of the reasons why we help our friends, right? With the people around us. Now of course, when we help our friends, it is okay to feel good about it. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's wrong to feel good when you help somebody, but Um, you know, that is part of God's blessing. But making ourselves feel good about ourselves should not be our main reason to help our friends, right? Because then that's using our friends, isn't it? The motive there is not love for our friend, but it's actually love for yourself. Your self-righteousness, your self-fulfillment, your own sense of being a good moral person. Self-justifying yourself. Number two, sometimes we only help our friends because we expect something in return, right? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Now listen, again, when we help others, of course it's very possible that it will be reciprocated and that's a, a good and wonderful thing and blessing from God, but would you want to receive help from somebody whose only motive is that they expect something back from you? Again, not a good feeling. That is not the reason why we should help people. So even though reciprocation can happen, right, if it's the reason why we help our friends, then again, it's no longer about genuine friendship, rather about self-service. I serve you because I want something in return. Self-service, self, 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 self-worship. It's the curse, I tell you. Um I have a few more, but let's see uh, I'll, I'll skip that one this is this is a good one number uh next one sometimes we 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 uh, help friends or we keep friends um, in our circles and we kind of push other friends out of the circle because we mistakenly believe that friends should never critique us right so we only keep the friends around who are, who are always like saying good things and saying things that stroke your ego. Um, they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I can't believe that other person is like that. Yeah, oh my gosh, like how dare they. You're right. You're awesome. You're good. And then guess what? They turn around and say the same thing to the other person, right? And they're like, you can do no wrong. Do you expect, do we as a society, do we expect our friends to uh, be people who only affirm us? That is not a true friend, okay? That is not a true friend. That's that's a hype man. (laughs) That's that's a fool, okay? Proverbs 27, again, God's word, God's source, verse five and uh, six says this. Better is open correction, open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but many are the kisses of an enemy. Right? A true friend loves, and sometimes that love requires that true friend to give truth and correction, but of course to give it gently. That's what a true friend is, not someone who just only says sweet things and only affirming things. That's not a true friend. Lastly, God designed friendship to be a two way street, but we often turn it into a one-way street for example maybe you know a person take for example a person who consistently uh, dominates the relationship they dominate the conversations and they're always telling their friends about what they did during their day and their opinions on such and such and their interests but when it comes the other way they Kind of dismiss it. They're not present. They don't listen. They don't really value what you say. They don't really remember your opinions or your thoughts or your interests. It's a one-way street. Do we do that? So these are some of the ways where self-worship pollutes what true friendship ought to be and, and it steals the blessing of what God intended for us. So, um, so many more, but we're going to move on. Um, there is one, I'll just say one sentence on this, social media. Um, social media has influenced us and actually, like a Pavlovian dog, conditioned us <laughs> to see friendship as transactional and, um, and more shallow than really what it ought to be. And so I I just want to say this. Don't believe the lie that social media uh, is a substitute for genuine friendship. You cannot have a genuine friendship solely through social media, okay? That's just a lie. It doesn't work. If you're a human being, it doesn't work because that's what God said. It's a tool, but it's not the main means, okay? Now let me conclude um, part two with this summary. Um, As we've been following, you know, As a world, as a society, the friendship principles that are sourced from the world, um, the sum total result of all of that has collectively dragged us into a place where friendships are now polluted by resentment, by guilt, hidden motives, fear of rejection, is any of this striking a chord, hitting close to home, fear of exposure, maybe because you've been dishonest and you're Getting any closer, your fear of getting exposed, fear of abandonment. And so all of that has left you too scared to love and thus cynical, confused and lost and void of lasting joy. And then like an animal gasping for air, right, we find ourselves lunging after anything that we think can fill that need for joy and love because we're not finding it in the things that God intended and so those other things seem to fulfill us at first, but then after a while, they leave us in the same place, disillusioned and hopeless for joy, and at the very least, doubtful that he, that lasting joy even really exists. And I want to be very clear. I want to tell you guys that Jesus wants something way better for you. Do you believe that? He wants something way better for you than that. And there is a better way to understand and nurture our friendship. So, uh, our last part, part three here. Friendship reclaimed and redeemed by God's gift of divine friendship. So, friendship has been polluted. We need it to be reclaimed, right? We need to claim it back and we need to redeem it. And how is that going to happen? Through God's gift of divine friendship. So, I'm going to give you just one foundational principle of God's wisdom uh, to chew on. And then some really great news. All right. So, uh, Jesus Christ, in, in a couple passages, um, and one of them being Luke chapter 6, verse 31, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus Christ taught us, he said this, as you wish that others would do to you, do it to them. Very simple, but if you think about it, be honest, really hard, right? So everything that you, all the good things that you want for yourself, do that for others. So simple. Sounds like Sunday school type of stuff, you know. But let me ask you this. Are you doing it? How well are we doing it? It's not easy. Again, I'll be the first to say it is not easy. (coughs) Not used to talking so much. Still on time, though. (laughs) All right. (coughs) Let me give you a a cool little story. So last week um, at our house, uh, a package arrived for um, one of our sons, Jeremiah. (coughs) And it was a computer keyboard. Well, um, you know, he and our other son, Joshua, were very excited about it. You know, they set it up. But then, um, after they said it, they they found out that the space bar was defective, and when you pushed it, it would stick and it wouldn't really come back up. And uh, it was very disappointing (laughs) for them. You gamers, you understand, right? Like, what the, you know? I just bought this and it doesn't even work. Well, a few days later, I was walking to the kitchen, and the boys' room is on the way, and I thought everybody in the house had gone out. I was like, yes, a moment to myself. But then I heard a, a clicking sound coming from the boys' bedroom. That's odd, I thought. So I went into the room because, you know, I, I, I thought nobody was home. And, and to my surprise, I found Joshua, who, if you don't know Joshua, Jeremiah is, uh, he's um, 19 and, and Joshua is 13. And so little Joshua, he, I found him sitting alone in the room. And what was he doing? He was just sitting there with the computer off in this dark room, just looking at the ceiling and sitting in a chair, and then just repeatedly hitting the space bar on that keyboard, like he's lost it. It finally happened, right? I asked him, "What are you doing, son?" And his answer just kind of blew me away. He said, "Well, when the keyboard came, I was so excited, but then when the space bar was broken, I was so sad for him." I was really sad for hanga that's what he he calls his older brother, that his brand-new keyboard wasn't working. So I asked a friend of mine who ordered the same exact keyboard, and he told me that he actually had the same problem with his keyboard. It's a manufacturing issue, I guess. And he told me that if you just keep hitting that key and wiping away the lubricant around it, eventually it'll get fixed. So that's what I'm doing. I told him, dude, you can just pack it up and send it in and get it exchanged, right? But Joshua said, no, because then that means Hunga would have to wait even longer for his keyboard. <laughs> Man, if it were me, I just would have packed it up and sent it in, right? But there Joshua sat. I just left him okay. And he was just sitting in an empty room by himself, hitting that space bar. Why? Because he wanted his brother's gift to work. He wanted... What he wanted for himself, he was doing for others. And the thing that left an impression on me was not the fact that he was doing—I mean, that was pretty cool—but really, what really kind of challenged me, in fact, was how happy he was (laughs) to do it. He was like just sitting in a room. I'm like, that would have been—that's like torture, right? It's like torture for me. Like, I don't love Jeremiah that much. <laughs> but apparently Joshua does. Do, you know, as you wish others would do unto you, do unto others. And so that, it was like, a, like an existential, like, dilemma for me because that really got me thinking, That it actually challenged me. Later that evening, literally hours later, I hear from the bedroom, it worked. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, he actually did it. Hours later. That challenged me and made me start to examine my own heart. Like, man, put me to shame. Here are some questions this past week that I, that I asked myself um, after witnessing Joshua loving his, his, his best friend, actually. And I would suggest you, you write these questions down, okay? Uh, here's one question I was thinking for myself and examining myself. How well do I think about the needs of others? Like, how well do I do that? Another question um, that I was how well do I think about not just the needs of others, because a keyboard is not a need, let's be honest, right? Unless you're a professional gamer. But um, how well do we think about the little preferences? The things that to us are so trivial and meaningless, but to someone else it just, it means more. Do I think about those things? Do you think about that? Here's a tough one, here was a tough one for me. How much time do I spend thinking about what would bring a smile to other people's faces compared to how much time I spend thinking about what would bring a smile to my own face, right? How much time do I spend thinking about what would bring a smile to someone else's heart? Compare that to the amount of time I spend dreaming and thinking about the things that would make, put a smile on my heart. It's a good question to ask. And after all of that, you know, is there, um you know, all that thinking, is all that thinking just remaining as thoughts, or is it going to bear actual fruit and actions? It's cool to have good thoughts and good intentions, but if it doesn't translate and bear fruit into actions, it don't matter, Right? And so these were questions that I asked myself and it sounds kind of like harsh, harsh, but you know what? After doing it, I felt nourished. I felt like that was good for me to like see that and then be challenged and then examine. Because you know what? I started doing those things a little, just a little bit. And I found just everything to be better. It's weird. So let me tell you some really good news. I want to tell you today that God himself is inviting you into an everlasting friendship with him. He's inviting you to be his friend. And God, he's not even asking you to make the first move, because that can be scary, right? Because you can be rejected, right? He loves you so much that you know what he did? He made the first risk of investment. He put himself out there. And who's the one that can be rejected? God. Because he's saying, here's the invitation. Would you be my friend? Hey, if if some homeless person came up to you, some stranger, somebody at the grocery store, and they came up to you and say, would you be my friend? Chances are you would reject them, wouldn't you? God is making an invitation of friendship. He's putting himself out there. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. Because you are loved by God. He made that first investment. He, He showed good faith when he laid down his life in exchange for yours. No greater love than this, than the one who lays down his life for you, for his brother. We've taken the blessing of friendship that God gave to us, And we took it into our own hand, and sadly we've polluted it and then it's turned into a curse and now that imprisons us as I mentioned before. But because God loves you, he doesn't leave you in that prison. He came to us and he laid down his life for you, ransomed his life for you, exchanged his life for you and freed you from that prison, that curse of self-worship. And like a real friend, Jesus sacrificed himself so that you would live and have lasting life and love and divine joy. The 15th Gospel of John, I mean, the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you, literally, in, the, in verse 14. Look, he says, you are my friends. If my words are in you and if you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing. But now I call you friend. You see that? He is disclosing more than he would to a servant. He is disclosing to you more of himself, his mission, his heart, his dreams, his ambitions. And what does that mean? His heart, his brokenness, his his heartbrokenness, I should say. What is that? That's a friend. He's revealing. He's disclosing himself to you. He's giving himself to you. That's friendship, isn't it? And Jesus is doing that. And that's why he calls you friend. No longer servant, I call you friend. God is painting a picture for you for what God intended all along for you to have a beautiful covenanted friendship with him. I'm going to end with uh, John 14 here, the chapter right before this. In chapter 14, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. Because they're the same, father and son. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you see what he's saying there? He just wants to be with you. Where I am, you may be also. Where we are doesn't matter as long as we're together. But heck, while we're at it, we're going to be in the Father's house. This is the invitation. And one of the disciples, Thomas, said to him, Lord Jesus, we we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? How can we know the way? And Jesus replied to him, and he's replying to all of us here today, I am the way to the Father's house. I am the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. The Father and the Son are calling you friend and giving you a place in the Father's house. The Son is literally, as we speak right now, preparing a place for you. Right now, as you're sitting here, Jesus is busy wallpapering or painting or he's doing something. He's putting molding, the crown molding on your room that you want. He's making it beautiful. He's the greatest artist interior decorator of all time. And he literally said, he's preparing a place for you. Accept his invitation. What are you waiting for? Do you have something better to do? Do you have somewhere better to go? I guarantee you, you do not have something better to do than to sit with Jesus and be with him and celebrate with him. Amen? Let's spend some time just praying right now. Uh, Praise team, you can come on up. Would you just sit and be with Jesus? Would you just consider his invitation? Take some time right now. Close your eyes if you have to. Jesus is literally inviting us to hang out with him. And he has wine that he has Coiled over to make, and he wants to share the wine of the heavens with you? I mean, (laughs) how much would a bottle of that wine fetch on eBay, right? That's what he wants to share with you. Jesus wants to feed you the food of his wedding banquet. And then also remember that Friends are there for the low times, and so Jesus is no different. In fact, when you find yourself dejected, beaten down, tired, drowning in your own anxiety, your own brokenness, the brokenness of the world, naked in your soul, with nothing to protect you, Jesus comes to where you are, and he doesn't say to you, hey, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. No, instead, Jesus kneels down where you sit and weeps with you, and then he gives his life to purchase a robe, White as snow. He bought that robe with his blood, but then he gave that robe. He didn't keep it for himself. He gave that robe to cover over our nakedness and to wash us of our brokenness. Both the brokenness perpetrated upon you and the brokenness perpetrated by you. And he gives you divine joy. He is offering himself to you. What is your response? Just take some time. Father, um, early in this message, uh, we had these words that um, where do we get this our picture of a, a genuine, our genuine friend? And we also talked about how love and friends are, are the natural habitat of human beings. Well, Jesus the best picture of a genuine friend we have is you. It's Jesus Christ who willingly, joyfully did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. No greater love and friend exists than you. Jesus, you are humanity's natural habitat in which we can thrive in love and enjoy in its purest, most divine form Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for the gift of your friendship. Not just friendship, but the gift of your friendship. Would you keep knocking on the doors of our hearts?